Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb the new sea. episode eight of the Art and Science of Running podcast and uh, this week uh, we are based in my house, last time we were in Jacob's house. Uh, we like to just kind of keep moving around, keep us on our feet and uh, we're really lucky this week because we have um, somebody that we've wanted to have in and talk to for quite some time um, and uh, we really, really think that this is going to be a really engaging podcast. Um, because there's a story, multiple stories kind of <laughs> woven together, and um, yeah, if you've uh, if you if you've got the time to see this one through for an hour or more, really think this is going to be uh, well worth your listen. So um, I'm going to welcome everyone. We've got uh, Jacob here, hanging Hi. out, <laughs> hanging out on my right side, and then our special guest today is Sanjay. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Hanging out on my left hand side, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. Um, Really, um, I guess we can start off with, um, if we go like reverse chronological in a way, we kind of start off with like recent events. So um, uh, both myself and Jacob were really impressed by, you know, um, the, 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 the way you ran and also and, and the time you ran and just even getting to the start line for what was the, uh, the World 50 Kilometer Championships in uh, Romania. Um, yeah. And uh, I know you're sort of still buzzing from that race. <laughs> sure, <I'm>, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, we, we sort of worked together in the four months running up to that race. And um, let's start with maybe uh, with, yeah, kind of the race itself and um, kind of how, how you felt and um, the experience and, and maybe one or two things you learned during the race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the, the 50K Worlds in Romania, um, I guess uh, prior to that, uh, my last race was uh, 2018, the 50K Nationals in, in Calgary. Um, that was the uh, first, first elite race, first national championship I've run. Um, it was, you know, at that time I uh, felt uh, fitter than I've, I've ever been coming into it. I felt really good. Um, you know, fast forwarding time, um, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. There's uh, quite a few things that happened between that race and, and the prep for Romania. Um, but, uh, but I got a phone call uh, asking if I would be ready to race in September. Um, at the time, uh, I had no idea what, <laughs> what the subject of the phone call was about. So I said, uh, I, I bluffed basically and said, absolutely. Um, what are we doing? And, uh, and I, I heard that I was holding the third spot for, for Team Canada to go to Romania. So, um, yeah, a big, uh, big build up to, to get to, uh, race, uh, get, get race ready. Um, yeah. And then, and, you know, showing up to Romania with, with some of the, you know, world-class top world-class runners. Uh, it was just incredible to see, 
Um, you know, lots of guys that I watch their YouTube videos were on the start line with me, and I, you know, trying not to be uh, starstruck and and uh, get get ready to race and and just uh, yeah, just being able to to get to that start line with some of those guys was it was such a privilege. It was it was really it was an amazing experience. Yeah. Now, like uh, backtracking a bit, so we were, it was kind of like really lucky in a way because uh, Sanjay comes to me and he said, and uh, the first time he tells me about this uh, championships. And he says, uh, yeah, I think it's in, uh, and then you had to go like, check it out, uh, Romania. And I'm like, really, of all the places? Because uh, the funny thing is, is I had uh, a previous career myself, which involved going to World Cup competitions in Romania. And uh, so the first thing I, I like, look at Sanjay and I'm like, do you know what you're in for here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so it was quite cool in a way. Because I was, I, I was able to tell you a few things before you went to Romania. And then, and then be curious after, like, so how was it out there? <laughs> yeah. And it, it was exactly how you described it. You know, uh, a Land Rover passed you on the road and then someone will pass you on a horse. And uh, it was just some, <laughs> some very different, uh, different cultural aspects, but it was a beautiful place to be, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, so the race. Um, okay, so... Again, I should probably like uh, mention <laughs> to people listening. I'm, I, you know, I'm really like, curious after. I was like, hey, Sanjay, how did the race go? Blah, blah, blah. And then Sanjay drops his bombshell in and tells me that at one point he was leading the race. Wow. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, in the lead pack. Yeah. In the lead pack, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, how was the experience of the race? And Yeah, um, yeah, it was, it was, well, first off, it was amazing. Um, you know, getting to the start line with uh, with those guys, uh, there was a lot of people there I, I didn't know as well, and I was uh, kind of hearing stories as we were there prepping a few days before. Um, uh, South Africa had three previous comrades winners, um, which is obviously probably the most prestigious ultramarathon in the world. Uh, most of the USA team had, had already hit their Olympic qualifying standard. Um, you know, Japan had their 100K world record holder there. Um, it, it was just incredible, you know, the the field was stacked. Um, everyone kept talking about how the field was the most stacked I've ever seen for 50k championships. So, um, yeah, we lined up and uh, and we. I definitely had a plan uh, that I worked <laughs> worked with uh, you, Malk, with and and I had a plan and the numbers in my head and um, and you know the the gun went off. Um, the pace. I, you know, I, I knew what the plan was. I, I went with the lead group. Um, I looked down at my, my watch, I think, on kilometer one, which is about a 323 kilometer, and I thought, okay, um, <laughs> this plan, uh, this is not the plan, um, but, uh, but it felt really good. So, um, and at that point, because you're, um, if, if, you, if people are listening, have a, try to get inside your head like, and, and visualize it. As you, I'm right in saying, as you go through the race, because you're, you're having to make decisions, right? You're having to make these kind of like, stay drop go kind of decisions all the time right? absolutely yeah absolutely so you know that that front pack we initially kind of had a pack of about let's say 25 runners there's about 171 in the race um that separated right away and uh and we were kind of right in that 325 323 to about 327 kilometer range um and and i knew right after the first kilometer i thought this this is not the plan but but um i also knew um that I was there for uh, for worlds. Um, I knew I was with some of the best runners in the world, and I knew that I uh, I did not want to get on a bus and a plane after thinking I had more in the tank. So uh, things felt good. I felt like I was in great shape before the run, and I thought 
let's uh, let's let's swing with the big boys and, and see what happens here. So um, yeah, the the race was set up in a, a five kilometer small loop, and then five nine kilometer loops after that. So uh, coming through the first five k, um, actually get Callum Neff, who's uh, another competitor uh, on Team Canada teammate. Uh, he was actually truly in leading the lead pack uh, coming through that five k, uh, which was awesome to see and. And I knew he was going for the Canadian record, which was a 253. And uh, and I kind of secretly in my head thought, well, I'd like to I'd like to put the pressure on and, and like to see uh, like to see maybe if two of us can get it. So uh, so let's go for it. So um, that was always in the back of my head. I don't think I actually told him that, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, we uh, we started off uh, really really hot. Um, like I said, totally away from the plan. Uh, once we hit the 10k mark, um, there was a group, uh, the South African group, with us. Uh, really up the tempo. They they brought it up to about a three fifteen three eighteen kilometer, wow. and um, and they put some pressure on right at ten. Like immediately as my watch beeped ten k, the feet hit a little bit faster. So um, I knew at that point uh, there was a difference between bravery and stupidity for sure. <laughs> and uh, and, uh, and I decided to uh, to definitely ease off a little bit, easing off back to a three. 27 to 330 pace which still was not part of the plan <laughs> but uh but yeah eased off into kind of a smaller chase pack and uh and then just kind of settled in and uh i knew i knew at that pace and i knew how i was feeling um i was going to be either on the verge of something uh really spectacular or uh or things the, the wheels may come off the bus um but that's I, a really positive mindset actually like you know because it's easy to sort of say oh you know like um you know deviation from plan and stuff but um, to have an attacking mindset, like we were talking before, we just mentioned like before, and you can chip in on this one as well because you have so much experience, Jacob. But um, we were talking before about, um, uh, yeah, like, like how, how to attack the race and, and uh, you know, the, the concept of just going out kind of like, you know, to the plan and everything. But there's something to be said for, for, for just going out and seeing what you can do. And... Um, and I've found, like, anyway, like, coaching people, it's sometimes actually easier to coach somebody who has a really attacking mindset and is willing to go all in. Right. And you accept that, like, okay, three times, four times, it's not going to work, but what if the fifth time works, right? Absolutely. And, um, like, my previous, uh, prof like, professional sports career was in a different sport, but it actually had to have an attacking mindset in that. Like, if you went in with less than 100% full commitment, you knew you couldn't win the, cha the world championship. So what was the point of being there? Absolutely. Um, and so the only way to go was have a shot at being, being world champion. You had to go all in, which had a really high risk of, being, <laughs> of not even making top 10. Absolutely. And so in some ways, like, it could be spun. People could like, be like, oh, you know, um, you know, like, okay, the physiologically, the fastest way through the marathon is, is even splits because you've got a pretty flat course, so it must be even splits. But then actually on a coaching perspective, I'm like, from my experience, I'm like, I kind of like an attacking mindset because you've always got a shot at something, mm -hmm. you know, where if you're conservative, you know what you're getting. Absolutely. When you're attacking, you're like, I don't know what I'm getting because yeah. it could be this or it could be this. You know yeah. What I mean? like, yeah. Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Um, for better or worse, uh, I've, I've had a lot more blow ups than breakthroughs. Um, but I wouldn't have had those breakthroughs had I not been willing to to blow up Absolutely. and uh, and it they're painful lessons obviously um, but that's when I've 
that's when I realized I could go further than I thought or I could go faster than I thought. But, um, you know, I've also blacked out and bear hugged cacti and things like that. <laughs> like, I, I mean, totally like it, one of the best races of my life from high school. I, I still don't remember what happened after the last 200 meters, but I, I still ran my PR for 1500 meters and I pretty sure got dead last in the race, but I, I, I went for it. Uh, with 300 to go and took the lead against guys that I had no business running against and somehow I got across the line and I got a time for it but I, I absolutely do not recall what <laughs> happened in the last 200 meters uh, and and that lesson has translated to longer distances as well it, it, I had no business even running the 1500 meters I have no foot speed whatsoever <laughs> but but I was I was willing to like put it all out there and just yeah. like all right, it's a race, guys. Let's do this. And uh, my sense is that's what you did at, at Worlds. Absolutely. And, and the, the return, I mean, you came back with a huge personal best at the, yeah. at the distance, correct? Yeah, nine minutes off my, my time at Nationals. Um, Just huge. Amazing. I mean, I, and, and you know, um, I, I hit the halfway mark at, um, at 127. And I knew, um, so in my head, I thought, okay, even if you, if you negative split, it's, it's amazing. You're right on pace for that, that record. Um, if you if you don't negative split, you still have six minutes to play with and be under three hours, which is incredible. Um, so the spirits were <laughs> spirits were high at 25k, um, not expecting what they were going to be like at 43k. <laughs> but uh, but that's that's racing, and uh, and you know I I knew as well uh, going into this race that um, um, and, and again I'm I'm sure we'll talk about it being about a, a season behind a lot of the other athletes. Um, I knew. That uh, what I lacked in, in skill and ability, I can make up for in, in uh, just having a really deep hurt locker, and uh, and I think that's what <laughs> that's definitely what helped me from forty three to fifty uh, in the kilometer marks there. Um, but yeah, you know that's that's where um, that's where I wanted to line up with them. Um, it's funny they all knew each other, they didn't know me, and, and I, I really liked that position coming into the race. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... So tell us about those last few kilometers and where yeah. your mind was. Because listeners really want to know about the hard yeah. stuff, not the yeah. stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, things were things were going really good in that in that chase pack. Um, like I said, at twenty five k, we we uh, my watch said one twenty seven. I knew things were were going uh, really good. Um, as I finished uh, the third lap, which would have been um, oh, quick math here, uh, thirty two kilometers. I hope yeah, thirty two. Um, I, I wasn't feeling as good as I would have liked to be at 32, but I knew that that pace was, we were just pushing a really hard pace. Um, coming into the last lap, uh, things were, you know, I, I, it was, uh, I guess the best analogy that I, I've been trying to describe is it's like in those Fast and the Furious movies when they're driving the cars right to the, they're redlining the cars and all the bolts are shaking. Um, and it's whether that car stays together for the finish line or, or falls to pieces. Well, that's, that's what my legs felt like at that time. So um, as I came through the last lap, uh, I knew um, things were, things were going to get a little bit, uh, a, a lot harder than they have been for, for the beginning of the race. So um, my, uh, my, my hamstrings and, and quads started, uh, started really getting uh, uncomfortable. Um, it took about 41K. I knew, um, yeah, coming into that last lap, I knew things were, were going to be a problem. Uh, 43k um, I, I had to physically stop running I, I was cramped up so badly so I was, I was kind of uh, white knuckling a guardrail on the side of the road um, and it, it was unfortunate because if you stop uh, generally like about nine out of to every ten people in Romania smoke and uh, the streets were packed so if you stopped running uh, you were pretty much secondhand smoking a lot, a lot of cigarettes at the time so it's really not 
beneficial to stop at all. Um, but I was, I was just kind of white knuckling a guardrail trying to get these cramps out. Um, I, I didn't really, you know, at the time I knew regardless, I'm, I'm crawling across the line if it, if it comes to that. At that point, are you still, are you, are you just like pure, purely reactive or are you still making mental calculations about times in your head? No, not at all. No, no. Um, I, once I got to that, that last lap, um, there was no mental calculations. There was no fine motor skills, I think, in, in the body left. Um, it was, uh, that was survival at that point, for sure. Um, I, I knew I was running the risk on kilometer one, um, and I was willing to accept that, you know, the consequences of the risk. So, uh, so yeah, at, at 43, um, definitely holding onto that guardrail, uh, really contemplating um, what this was all gonna look like for 7K, probably gonna be the longest seven kilometers of my life. Um, there was a aid station probably about five to 700 meters up the road. Um, on a side note, in Europe at aid stations, they have water and sparkling water, um, which was a large mistake in lap one when I grabbed the wrong bottle. Um, good, good which surprise. was the wrong bottle for you. <laughs> well, I asked for water and they handed me a sparkling and I, I just, uh, I probably put back about 200, 200 milliliters in one gulp of this bottle and, uh, and had a pretty big shock. Um, when it was all fizzy water. As a European, as a European, I'd just like to point out that in other parts of Europe, this wouldn't be the case. But in, in parts of Europe that are trying to become part of Europe and are not part of Europe, this is what happened. It was a, it was a funny surprise. I had a good laugh. I, I had the energy to laugh at that point. But um, but yeah, I made it to that aid station, uh, I, and I, I was doing kind of a very weird hitched hobble uh, over there. I, I got as much fluids as I could. Um, really had to refocus, and then it was uh, it was all right. You're you're making it back. However, you have to. Do you think about things like? Um, do you think about kind of reverse countdown to the line? Do you think about like four hundred meters left, three hundred meters left, or anything like that? No, you know, luckily on a looped course, I could landmark a lot of stuff. So I, I knew, you know, when there was a church that that was playing music the whole time, I knew that when I got to the church, that I only had, you know, that was halfway on that loop, and then you know a little further to go, and then there was a McDonald's. Um, funny enough, at the turnaround, there was a place selling uh, coffins, which was <laughs> we're really not doing <laughs> we're not doing a good job of, uh, of Romanian uh, to tourist information here, are we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was uh, right at the halfway point. There was a, there was a place selling coffins, and I thought it was so ironic because that's where I ended up having to hydrate for the last half of the loop. And uh, I just had, I had such a laugh because, uh, you know, you're, you're sipping water and looking past the aid station and actually seeing a bunch of coffins on display and I thought, oh, this is, this is a terrible sign. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, luckily got enough fluids in um, and made, uh, made the last stretch back to, uh, to the finish line. And it was, uh, it was a pretty amazing, uh, it was amazing. Um, had the, uh, had uh, the awesome time, like our, our as you run through the finish, it was it was tense for every country, and uh, and our team manager had the Canadian flag there for us. So, um, yeah, crossing the line, holding the flag, and uh, and just kind of what that moment was for for the last kind of uh, year that that's happened. It's uh, it was yeah, words can't describe it. Any little sprint at the finish line, or just <laughs> I would I would like to say that it felt like a sprint, but I'm I'm sure if you would look at the video, it probably. It, it was nothing you want to probably watch again. <laughs> so, um, so let's let's backtrack uh, a bit. Um, you and I both happened to be running in twenty eighteen. Absolutely. At, at the at the national championships in the fifty k, and um, and I and we went one two. Correct. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. and, uh, and that's how you qualified to represent Canada. Um, 
I remember maybe a week or two later, we were texting back and forth, just checking on each other, seeing how recovery was coming along. Um, what if, if either of us was even thinking about racing again, uh, 50K on pavement can be pretty painful. And so, <laughs> um, so um, you, you were out of town. Yes. And, uh, and you said, all of a sudden you weren't, you weren't recovering as quickly as you had hoped, but that, you know, you were, you weren't feeling well. Um, but you know, you, you, at first you, you said, maybe it's just that I'm in Montreal and I'm, I'm eating all the, you know, all the French food over here. Yeah. And, uh, and then shortly thereafter, you, you told me that, uh, you were going to look a little bit deeper than the croissants and, yeah. and, and, and try and figure out what, uh, what was actually happening. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we ran nationals. It was, uh, such an awesome experience. Um, you know, even, uh, yeah, uh, that was, an, that was amazing. Um, and, uh, so less than 48 hour, hours after I got, um, I was deployed to Quebec for, um, for some work. Um, yeah. And it's so hard to judge how you're feeling after a pavement 50 K because basically from your eyelids to your toes, uh, <laughs> Are uncomfortable for for weeks after, um, so so yeah, I was uh, I was I was over there. Um, yeah, I was still running over there, but in just a large amount of discomfort. Um, I uh, yeah, I was there for two weeks in total. Uh, about after the first week of being there, um, yeah, I just noticed um, kind of I, I was kind of doing self assessment because I, I really felt off. Um, I noticed uh, what I felt was a, a tangible mass. Um, and that, that was not, uh, there before. Um, I remember phoning my wife and being like, there's something is just not right right now. Um, I have this tangible mass. I'm, I'm not feeling good. Um, and, and unfortunately for that next week I was, I was on the East coast. Um, the mass was actually growing in size, um, that I can notice. So, uh, pretty much, um, when you phone your wife and, and, and give her those details, generally it's not, you know, being basically a pro or, or a country apart. Um, it's probably not the most settling feeling for her. So I, by the time I landed back in, in Calgary, um, I already had a, a list of doctor's appointments that she had booked, <laughs> which, uh, you know, is just incredible. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so when I initially uh, went to the doctors, um, they agreed that it wasn't normal um, and, and started undergoing uh, testing. A lot of testing. <laughs> um, I can get into more detail about that if you'd like. Um, we um, basically, I, I went um, tangible mass. Um, uh, it was uh, initially found uh, on my left testicle. Um, they, uh, the doctors at that time, actually said that um, that they didn't. They just flat out didn't know what it was. So they said it was either an internal bleed from a really heavy impact. Um, which, which I, I think I, I hopefully remember. <laughs> so um, which you pretty hard. Yeah, that, uh, that didn't happen. Um, or, or another, uh, another uh, explanation they gave that just was uh, also scientifically impossible in, in my world. So I, um, I, I kind of was at a weird point with the doctors where I said, uh, I said both your options are not possible. Um, but, but there is a problem here. So I got sent to a specialist. Um, we did some testing, ultrasounds, multiple uh, series of ultrasounds um, to a phone call saying, um, we're not sure. 
uh, saying it's abnormal. Um, the, the urologist I spoke to said that we have, uh, he looks at them all day. Uh, these ultrasounds says cancer, not cancer, cancer, not cancer. And he said, we have a split room right now. Um, which again, <laughs> is not ideal for the answers you want to hear. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we ended up, um, and, and at this time too, as all these tests are going on, uh, I have a mass that's uh, continually growing um, and the pain is increasing uh, quite significantly to the point that I was taking a leave uh, throughout the day to even just function through the day. Um, the decision was made, unfortunately, in that area you can't biopsy. So um, the only option I was given was to uh, have surgery, uh, completely remove um, that part away and uh, put it under a microscope. So uh, the problem with that is uh, the urologist told me that there's also, uh, we're running a really high chance of waking up after surgery being told, um, we took a good testicle from you. It, was, uh, it wasn't cancer, which is half the room in, uh, in the urology department agreeing that it isn't. So that's a pretty tough uh, pill to swallow. <laughs> to um, uh, so I, you know, it took some time, uh, lots of conversations, but also at this time, increasing pain and uh, and due to the level of discomfort I was in, um, we made the decision to to go ahead with surgery, which was a really difficult decision. Um, went uh, went through surgery about I'd say seven days later, and of course those are pretty tough seven days because you're sitting here waiting to see what is your future is really right um, I got a phone call um, a pretty immediate phone call saying uh, we put this under a microscope it, it is cancer um, embryonal carcinoma it, it was sorry a mixed germ cell tumor um, embryonal carcinoma was most of it um, and, and most uh, people that have read Lance Armstrong's book it's the same type of cancer that he had um, and then there was also um, Two other types of uh, teratoma was uh, in that, and uh, and they, they called a yolk sac uh, was also there. So uh, the question now was yes, okay, um, you have cancer. Was it all contained uh, in, in what was removed from surgery? So uh, of course, fingers crossed. We're saying okay, let's hope this is all contained. So the next step was blood work and a CT scan. Um, so the blood work was going to tell um, if we had. Uh, if we had tumor markers in the blood and of course the CT would show if there is any tumors anywhere else. So with embryonal carcinoma, it starts in the testicle, moves to the chest, like the lymph nodes throughout the chest, the lungs and the brain. Um, so went for uh, a CT scan. Um, the wait list was enormous for the CT scan, even in an emergency. So uh, luckily we ended up getting a private one done. Um, we uh, the results came back with my blood work being really elevated for tumor markers so um, so the cancer was in my blood and and um, had some sort of blood supply that was spreading um, and then they also had uh, my lymph nodes throughout my chest were, were getting affected and some nodules were already forming on my lungs so I uh, went to a specialist um, an oncologist uh, Dr. Heng who I'll speak about after a phenomenal uh, man um, he looked at the results, uh, so we went in to see him on a Thursday and he said at the rate it was spreading, um, basically we had to start chemo on the Monday. So 72 hours to kind of, uh, I guess, uh, kind of swallow a pretty big pill, um, recognize that, uh, not only do you have cancer, you have cancer that's metastasizing pretty quickly through your body. Um, 
and that you have to start chemotherapy for four and a half months uh, to try and rectify this. So um, lots of, you know, it, it was... At that point, do you still, like prior to that, are you thinking, oh, I can go back to work quite quick, you know, had, had, the, had the surgery yeah. and I'll be out of here. Like. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I did, it did in a way, but I also knew in the back of my head that what they told me, that the possibilities it could be. So um, I, I'm a pretty realistic person. I like facts in front of me before I'll ever sit and speculate and kind of go down these rabbit holes of, of what if, what if. Um, but I think that was one of the first times that I started going down some weird rabbit holes because, you know, the what ifs of, of, you know, that make you late or miss appointments or, or maybe you don't get your workouts in or whatever, those what ifs of, of life, the smaller ones, um, don't impact, don't hit as hard as, you know, especially like, uh, two kids under two at the time and you sit back and you go, huh, okay. Um. You know, the goal is to be here for them and my wife. And there's some writing on the wall here that this, there's potential, um, you know, they give you a survival rate, um, a percentage of survival rate. And uh, when you don't hear a hundred of your survival rate after chemo and cancer treatments, uh, it, it doesn't feel good, right? Because mm-hmm. um, now you're sitting back and you're going, all right, I, there's a percentage that after all of this that I'm not going to be here. So, you know, let's, let, so it's hard to kind of not venture down those rabbit holes a little bit yeah. and look at what the potential of different outcomes could be. But sitting back and looking at the facts and, and it was almost a blessing we only had 72 hours to get our head around and start chemo because um, it didn't give me a whole lot of time to look into stuff. I'm so grateful to have an amazing wife that did all the research on everything, spent like sleepless nights, I think right up, well, probably throughout the entire time, um, but just researching everything. And, uh, and it gave me the opportunity just to focus on, all right, this is a new, kind of a new race, a new task, a new what I have to do. Let's get to the finish line. Let's do what we got to do. Um, so that was, that was kind of the mentality going into it. I didn't know a lot about it. Um, so, yeah, in a way that actually worked in my favor, I, I think, in the long run, looking back at it. So for those of you who are just listening who either haven't seen a picture of Sanjay or can't see us right now, um, although he's very humble and soft-spoken, um, as a runner, uh, I would say he's like the rock equivalent of a runner. I mean, he's, he's got a shaved head. He's rather swole. Uh, he's, he's got a big tattoo on his arm. Um, and... Uh, it, He's he's spent a bit of time in the weight room, but he's also like super chiseled, and I'm not fanboying out. I'm just trying to give you a sense of of what that must mean to someone who who has taken uh, such good care of himself to be told you're you're mortal, uh, and we're gonna we have, part of that mortality is we're going to have to take a part of your manhood yeah, from you, um, and then. In addition to that, like you said, you, you do have a young family, beautiful children, um, young, Thank you. very young family. Um, I'm going to say beautiful wife. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, but, I appreciate uh, it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and um, that's what's always so hard for me when one of my peers, um, it, it, it's one thing when someone is older and, and it seems like they've lived a full life and uh, 
I don't feel like I have a huge connection, even if they're a family member. It's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, we're, we all reach that point at some point in our lives. Absolutely. But when someone my age or even younger or someone with, with kids, that when I put myself in, when I put myself in your shoes, it was just like, I don't even have words to say, you know, yeah. what, what am I, what am I supposed to say? Because up to that point, it was kind of like, Hey, let's talk about running. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> like the yeah. last thing that I can talk about at that point is running. Cause that, you know, as, as important as it, as it is in our daily lives, that, that doesn't matter, you know, relative to, yeah. <laughs> to the importance of your life and your family and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, that, and I think that was, that was kind of a hard thing to get my head around because, you know, I, I came from running 50k nationals, um, feeling, I felt fit, I felt great, um, you know, I've always, uh, I've eaten mostly plant-based, um, just, I've always felt, I felt good and I felt really strong coming into that race. Um, so, it's really hard when someone looks at you, you know, 14 days after <laughs> running, running nationals and goes, you're sick. And uh, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I feel good, you know, I have like, tangible pain, but I feel good. Like there's no way I'm sick. I'm, I'm not, you know? Um, so it's, it was, that was a, a difficult, um, kind of, that was, that was hard just to get my head around to, to sit there and have people telling you, you know, you're not well and you need to, you need to undergo some, some very intrusive, not only surgery, but, but treatment to, to get rid of, uh, the sickness you have when, when you don't necessarily feel it. So that was definitely a hard one to, to kind of get my head around and, and, uh, you know, you kind of have that, are you sure? Like, are you sure I am? Because I, I don't think I am. I don't think it's this, but, uh, but of course you put your trust in, in the doctors and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they look at this all day. So it's, uh, yeah, again, the goal isn't so much about selfishness and how I feel. It's now, okay, you're telling me I have this. Let's, uh, the goal now is to be there for the family and, and, and to, you know, be here and until I, you know, till I'm old and, and gray and yeah. So, so let's, uh, let's do what we have to. One of the things that kind of, um, was intriguing to me and, Actually, we'll say to my colleague who, who you've worked with as well. Um, so during, during the chemo process, <clears throat> you also actively exercised. Yes. And um, we had just a small discussion about this. Consequently, I went off, looked into stuff. My colleague went off, looked into stuff academically. Not much on this subject. No. So this, for, really intriguing for me. Um, how often did you exercise and what was the exercise? And then what was the thinking? Because there was some thinking around it as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so a large part of this for me, um, in the short amount of time I had to really think about it, uh, was I'm, you know, you, you, you feel like you're a new kid at school. So you, you get told where to be for, in the cancer center. You show up, you don't know, you don't know anybody. You have, uh, you meet new nurses, which, you know, almost like your teachers. Um, they bring you into a room and now you're kind of learning all this new stuff, um, about, about the drugs that are going into you, uh, the new feelings you're going to have, the side effects from the drugs. So for me, um, this was starting and it was going to be a time in my life I have, I'm losing control, uh, losing control of, of what I'm able to do, losing control of how I feel, losing control of everything I've, you know, that, that I know that makes me, me. Um, and in doing that, I said, um, all right, I need to, what, what kind of defines me as me, um, on, besides my family, uh, is, is being active, uh, biking, running. Um, so I knew that if I lost that through this process, 
that it was going to be a lot harder for me to to try and find me again after this process. Uh, so I, I said to myself, um, I think it was going to be 84 days of treatment. Uh, so I said I have to stay active 84 to 84 days. Um, I didn't realize how hard that was going to be. <laughs> um, obviously not knowing a lot about uh, the, the chemotherapy drugs. Uh, a lot of people, um, I had so many, so many amazing people uh, support me through, through different ways. Uh, a lot of the guys in my work um, right away said, what, what can we do for you? And um, again, I didn't know a lot about the process. So I just said, um, right now, nothing. I, I, there's nothing you can do for, for us right now, but, uh, but stay active for 84 days with me. So, um, which was awesome. Uh, so I had guys sending me their workouts <laughs> every day or sending me videos of them running. A lot of guys that um, hadn't run a lot before or ever, um, they were like, all right, I'm going to run a kilometer today and I haven't run in seven years. And I'm like, awesome. All right. And, uh, and it was all, it, it just made this, uh, this really cool culture, um, for me where, you know, on days where I was laying in bed, um, you know, basically, uh, vomiting from the drugs, uh, not thinking I had an ounce of strength to even go out for a walk. And then I'd get three videos from, from my coworkers that are like, we're out for a run. We don't enjoy this, but we're doing this for you. And I'm like, well, there's absolutely no excuse for me not to get out and at least just try and walk around the block right now. So uh, the goal was 84 days. Um, and I, I have to say, uh, I, I was able to do it for 83 out of the 84. Um, I had a, a, the, one of the last uh, days in the last rounds of chemo. I, um, I, I was pretty, pretty down and out. So um, there wasn't a whole lot. Uh, there wasn't me going down the stairs, let alone, uh, let alone going for the walk. So. Yeah, yeah. But there was some thinking around it or did you have any advice or? Um, you know what, well, like you said, the, so the research on uh, physical activity through chemotherapy, uh, at least in Canada, University of Calgary did a really good study on it recent, uh, you know, within the last kind of couple of years. Uh, but there's, there's nothing. Um, you look up chemotherapy and you're going to see a lot of negatives, um, a lot of negatives around that. And for sure there is a lot of, uh, negative feelings around it but uh but the reality is for for working out for training for for pushing yourself um there there isn't much research on it in australia and uh the usa um they're actually starting to put gyms in the cancer centers now so that um you when you show up for your chemo treatments you'll actually get an itinerary of you know a 9 a.m yoga class a 10 uh, 10 a.m spin class um, still having the ability to sit in your chairs and receive chemo but also having the ability to go and train. Um, in Australia, they actually have, um, they almost look like bike pedals you can use with your hands or your feet, and they'll just roll them right up to your lazy boy. Um, and I know their research, their thinking was that um, a lot of uh, tumors and masses don't have uh, blood supplies or good blood supplies, but if you can create that blood flow through your body as you're receiving your chemo drugs, that it can help kind of push to, to different areas um, is one of the thoughts on it. Of course, the guys doing the research on it know a whole lot more than I do, but uh, but yeah. So we're we're kind of it's a it's a strange point. So I go into this uh, chemo room, um, and you're kind of in a, a a circle shape with with everyone else receiving chemo, and the nurses are in the center. Um, but you don't uh, you don't even have the ability to go for a, a walk or to uh, get on a bike or to um, you know you're kind of in a lazy boy. So for me, I was doing um, six hour days uh, on the drugs, uh, three days in a row. Then I'd come home and do another week of drugs at home. Um, but sitting in the chair, you, you don't have that ability to, to even go for a walk or to maybe even just stand on the treadmill. Um, 
you know, of course, not trying to run intervals or mile repeats, but just even to, to be able to go for a walk and, and do those things. Um, so the, I guess the, you know, the mindset wasn't off with that. It wasn't people saying you can't, it was just that there was no means to actually do it. Um, which is why uh, I started bringing my bike into, into the, the chemo rooms while I was receiving chemo. So I'd make sure I was at least spinning my legs and doing something that I, you know, made me feel like me again um, mm -hmm. at a time when everything else was getting lost, basically. When, uh, when you came to the end of the treatment time, uh, was there, was there a, an understanding, was there advice on what you could do in the future? Like, um, you know, this is, this is how much you can physically do or you can't do this or you can't do that kind of... Yeah, uh, I guess not specifically, but, but uh, I mean, the, the overall idea is that the chemo can't differentiate between the good and the bad. So it goes in and it kills everything. Um, so from, you know, a mitochondrial level, bone marrow, you know, your blood cells, everything gets, is getting destroyed and depleted. So the, um, you know, you're, I was told basically, um, anywhere from one to three years before you can kind of get into heavy training again. Um, but, but again, that will totally depend on, on where things go, but basically, um, the body's depleted, the body's been um, extremely stressed and, uh, and yeah, you, you know, don't, don't kind of expect those, those things to start coming, coming back to where they, they will be. Um, which is great to hear because I'm, as you guys probably know, stubborn as, as a mule. So that, that was a, uh, yeah, I kind of had the, oh yeah, approach to that. So, <laughs> so did, did you resume formal training prior to getting noticed that you'd been selected to represent Canada at Worlds, or um, was that kind of the impetus to, to see if you could start training? Well, I started running again, and I was having some... Um, I, I started running and biking uh, after chemo, kind of continuing on seeing where where I could kind of... what I could do with the body and, um, and where it kind of... Uh, where it went to. I was having some really strange um, reactions to it, so... Uh, my calves, I could not get my calves under control. They were just blowing up, I, and like visibly just swelling like crazy. Um, I was uh, I was having like very hard time recovering, so I could maybe put together a decent workout, but then it would be 48 hours, even three days sometimes before my body would even feel like I could push it again. So I was having these, um, you know, maybe so much in the workout, it didn't feel bad, but then I was having these really kind of lingering effects after of, uh, of muscle soreness, um, lots of swelling, um, and then just build up a fatigue where I just, you know, I'd be able to put maybe, let's say three days of training together. And then I'd be like, all right, there's a week and a half I need to rest. Um, so I was having these really kind of weird, uh, peaks and valleys through trying to find a new normal, uh, after, after the chemo was done. Um, that was kind of getting a little more regulated as I, I kind of got word that, that that Team Canada position may, may be happening. Um, and then, of course, that, that just sparked a fire where, uh, yeah, you, you know, the little things, uh, we're going to work through them and we're going to get there. So, yeah. yeah. So how did, how did training change post-chemo versus how you trained for other events in the past, whether like yeah. it was the, the national championships or, or prior to uh, national championships, just for the record, the, uh, Sanjay and I have gone back and forth, and so I, I partially invited him to run the national championships because I felt like I had an advantage on the roads because 
like I said, 50k on the roads is painful, but the previous time we raced was 50k on the trails and he like annihilated me. And so, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I, I figured, I figured let's even the score and then, you know, it didn't feel very good when I found out two weeks later that I was running against a guy with nodules on his lungs and that was the only reason I actually beat him. So, so once you're... Once you recover, we need to actually like <laughs> yeah. even the score uh, yeah. when it's fair. But I, it sounds like chemo sort of w made you go from superhuman to human. Like most of us <laughs> take two to three days to recover from a hard effort. But right. uh, but anyway, could yeah. you could you elaborate a little bit on on how your training uh, changed from yeah absolutely chemo to post chemo? So uh, training before um, and and, uh, and my my previous coach could could attest to this. I'm I'm not. A good athlete for a coach and and I say that because I uh, when I see easy run um, my my brain reads it uh, but I don't compute easy very much in, in life so I, um, I I've had this terrible habit of just pinning runs all the time um, and uh, and partially that that's due to kind of my my own uh, makeup and, and kind of how I I deal with running and uh, and what running's been to me um, so uh, it was, it's actually almost kind of a blessing because I was forced to run easy, um, which, uh, which is, you know, it, it was great. It was a blessing in disguise. Um, so, you know, it was funny. I came home from my first like easy run and, and I, I ran into, into the house and I looked at my wife and I was like, that felt amazing. Like it was the first time I actually, you know, it, it's funny. I used to use an expression, you know, you have to see what you're actually looking at. And it was the first time that I think I've run on the pass out here along the river where I was like, wow, it's, it's really beautiful here. Like it's not just a head down pin and run right now. So, um, so yeah, it was, uh, the training, it, it actually forced me to slow down, which I think in turn created a, a lot faster run, um, in, in this last 50 K, you know, for forcing me to take that step back. Um, you know, it was a new appreciation too of, of just sitting back and saying like, this isn't about racing podiums, finishes, sponsors. It's not about that anymore, right? I, right now, um, I just went through the hardest race of my life. To lace up my shoes right now and to run and say that that's not a fast time and that's not fast enough is, I'm doing, I'm doing myself and, and everyone that was in those rooms with me receiving chemo and everyone running, I'm doing them no respect. Right now, I'm so fortunate to, to even lace up my shoes. I'm so fortunate to walk out my door and, and to be standing right now at the end of all of this. Um, yeah, you know, it, was, uh, it wasn't about that. And I think that mindset coming into training post-chemo was, was, it was just a whole new kind of world for me. Um, you know, I sat back and I, I would have bad days. I'd have bad runs. Um, we actually leading him right up uh, two weeks before before Romania. I mean, we had uh, Malcolm and I had a run that was like this is the kind of a good test run. This is to dial it in, and man, I flubbed it. Like I uh, I had to get off the the treadmill because I I just I just couldn't hold it that day. But but you know I step back and I go all right. What's like what's the what is the overall problem here right now? You know like are we are we gonna be mad because I didn't finish this workout? When you look at the big picture and go man, you're running right now. You're training for a world event. Um, it's okay. Like it's okay. If this workout doesn't go the way you want to reset, recognize what you have, recognize, you know, how grateful you are to be here and to be doing what you love 
and just reset and let's get back at it, right? Um, you know, after all of this, like things don't always work out the way you want. They don't. It's great to have, you know, those gold medal workouts all the time, but you may not, right? Uh, it's great to be healthy, but some days you may just get hit in the face with the fact you're sick and, uh, and you can't, you can't go back. You can't change that. All you can do is look at it and go, all right, this is what I got dealt with today. Let's make the best of it. Let's move on to tomorrow and let's crush tomorrow. So, uh, you know, that mentality coming into this where normally I'd be so upset if I didn't hit these kind of pinnacle workouts and I'd be so upset if I didn't hit these times or if I didn't get workouts in a certain time. Now it's like, all right, this is, uh, this is a lot more laid back approach and the laid back approach created way stronger workouts when I, when I needed them. And, uh, and then a, a nine minute PB on a, on my 50 K time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it's just been kind of a whole new eye-opening experience for me, to be honest. In addition to like the recovery runs, were there other other runs that might have been different, or other aspects of training that uh, that were different than other build-ups in the past that, that you felt helped? I, I I'm a firm believer in the in the taking you know the stress and rest idea, um, and. I, I preach it all the time to the athletes that, that I coach, but, but I'm wondering if there were other, other indicator workouts or other, other things that you did that, that did build your confidence, not just the recovery, but to, were there other workouts where you were kind of like, okay. Yeah. I, like I, I you know, I've I always do done mile repeats, always done eight by one mile repeats. Um, that's always been a workout for me pre and post. And, uh, and so I, in, in on a treadmill, you can always, you have, you know, a numerical value for your speed and for your time always. So it's really good for me. I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy. I just need those numbers. Um, so that it was the first time where I kind of got on a treadmill and, uh, and we were, we were doing this training where it was kind of like three really good workouts through the week and then easy runs other times. If you're tired, um, then don't do the hard workout the next day, which was really nice. Cause then I, you know, it was more of a stress-free training environment. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I got on my treadmill for my mile repeats and I was like, the first time I did them at the numbers I did probably a few weeks before nationals, um, felt easy. And I was like, huh, this is different. So then I waited a week, uh, did the, um, did them again at, at a, what I would consider a significantly higher speed and, and held it together. And I was like, okay, things are, things are definitely progressing in, in the, in the right way right now. So that was kind of, you know, in the head when I would have those workouts where I could see numerical values and go, these are significant improvements to where I was at before. Um, and then it just gets that ball rolling and, uh, things were, yeah, I knew I was on the right path for sure. That's great. Yeah. That's exciting. It wasn't, as I said, like from my perspective, yeah, like I didn't think it was that hard to coach down <laughs> but, um, um, it's, it's a lot harder to, to kick somebody up the ass and, um, and get them to, uh, to push when you need to in that one or two workouts a week. Uh, I find it's a bit easier to, um, to, to try and get someone to back off. Yeah. Um, you just have to give them a, a compelling enough reason why that is. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I mean, you know more about like teaching and pedagogical, pedagogical stuff than I do. And, um, uh, you know, you just gotta learn the person's buttons, right? Which ones you push and which ones don't push, <laughs> and there were it was very obvious that I I could say this right now and Sanjay is going to go and blast through seven sessions in a week, um, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually didn't find it that that difficult. I knew like on a because ultimately we went with a pretty pretty um, simple plan yeah. really. And I think you were surprised at the start when I said, no, well, each day is going to have a certain type of workout and it's just going to repeat. Yeah. Because <laughs> there were enough complications already. I mean, the guy, we didn't know what uh, cancer had done or not done. Uh, simple was best because you, you, you know, we, we're trying to figure out like if there's improvements and how do we measure the improvement, what is it? So if you've got like 10 different things going on, you, you've got no hope. So we, we kept it extremely simple, making comparisons extremely easy. And um, yeah, like every time Sanjay was going to go out and do a, a long run, um, and he had a history of like attacking hills, so I was like, I don't even need to tell him to attack hills. He's doing it anyway. And um, I never had to think for a second. Oh, I wonder if Sanjay will give a hundred percent this long run. You know, it was like, no, I know what. Yeah. Yeah. Sanjay's going to go out hard, and he's going to hang on. And um, so, in some ways, it kind of like takes some factors out of helping somebody. I think mm -hmm. because. Cause, cause that's a give, like that's a given in that workout. I know that. So all I've got to, if, if he's dealing with that and he's put hundred percent in there, like all you've got to do now is just make sure these workouts over here are done properly. And then that's it. Like, right. Um, so, and I mean, you, you've got more experience in, in this than me. But, uh, it's, yeah. well, what, what Sanjay described in terms of the, uh, that tendency to, to push the easy days. I would, I would say that's, that's the downfall of most yeah. runners. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it, yeah. Just because we we don't, if, if we are driven, uh, we think that if we can if we can push a little harder, even on the recovery days, then that's where the gains are going to be made. And and it's actually the opposite. If we can if we can actually allow that to be a form of active recovery, and and in the same way that you know while you were going through chemo if we can just get the blood to flow <laughs> through yeah. our bodies to, to heal those parts that we've broken down that's where the recovery comes Absolutely. not just from that workout but it in at least in in western culture and, and, and our mindsets and, and whether it comes from workplace or just you know other sports it it's hard to convince people that it is actually <laughs> to their benefit to back off i, I would say at least half, if not two thirds of the, the time of the week. Um, a lot of my athletes, even if you include the long run, can't and shouldn't do more than one other quality workout mm -hmm. during the week, um, especially if they're only running four or five days a week anyway. Um, but one thing that um, that I feel a lot of people can relate to as well with you is, is that multi-sport background. Now, not everyone may have achieved as great a success as you did um, as a triathlete but how do you feel that helped you through your recovery and and even now and, and even in the build-up for the for the 50k like um, what other what other activities do you do besides run yeah I, I've always had a love for for cycling um, ever since I was a kid my, my dad uh, my dad still uh, he literally will pack his bags and bike across Canada. Like he lives in Nova Scotia and he'll bike to BC. Um, it's crazy. I'll, I'll receive packages in the mail and it'll just be clothes and he'll show up, get his clothes, change his clothes and keep going. Um, it's, it's amazing. It, so I've always had a love for cycling. Um, kind of as I've grown up, um, I always grew up as a hyperactive kid running around everywhere, but, uh, but um, I kind of dabble, I would get into running and bike and then get, back into weights and 
um, kind of back and forth, but uh, but I always had it in my head that I wanted to try a triathlon. So then um, started uh, relearning how to swim, and uh, uh, the biking was okay, and then the running, and uh, yeah, and so I, I signed up for, for Ironman, um, which probably is good and bad in the first triathlon you're ever going to do good in the sense that you probably you don't know the distances enough well enough that you don't really give them that much respect so you just kind of know it's going to be a really long day and uh and you just kind of go through it uh bad in the sense that uh it's your first triathlon and that's a mountain to climb <laughs> but but it was an incredible day um but yeah that kind of uh getting into the longer stuff right away um, definitely helped in uh, the cycling between runs and just kind of, uh, you know, as an active recovery is always been, you know, that, that's kind of my, my happy place, just sitting on a bike and spinning my legs and either listening to music or, uh, or, or watching a movie or something like that. I just, I just always love doing that. So it kind of brings me back to kind of good childhood memories and, and also kind of feels good doing it, uh, doing it now. So, yeah. So you're doing that now as part of your recovery from Worlds? Uh, you know what? I, I should be doing it more. <laughs> I'm, I'm not uh, not right now. Um, I, I actually just uh, just in between getting my new bike actually, uh, which is coming in next week. So um, yeah, so I'm bikeless right now, but uh, but I will be. <laughs> yeah. How much? How many non-running activities per week did you do in the build-up to the? I, I actually stuck strictly to running. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, but just really focused on those easy runs, and uh, I knew the conditioning was was where I was going to be lacking, um, not kind of being that season behind that. Um, okay. um, because I'm still actually um, October thirtieth will be a full year since my last chemo treatment, so I'm still pretty pretty fresh within all this kind of recovery zone. So I knew uh, one of the biggest things I'd be lacking is my conditioning. Okay. So really focused on those. Like the, I, I almost took those easy runs as really easy runs. Um, almost took it as a totally different activity than the hard runs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just focused on that and knew that I had to get miles on. Because um, the, the timeline was pretty tight. It was. I remember um, the first time, so I went to Sanchez's house um, in the evening and we, were, we discussed the idea of a plan going forward. And it was already less than four months before yeah. the race. So we were in such a tight uh, timeline. Yeah. It was like, right, if it ain't important... <laughs> <laughs> to look at the goal. Oh it's, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And then, and then, the, the whole way through the four, three, whatever I can't remember it was now three months, four months. Um, there was massive unknown about what chemo had done, what he was a, what his body was able to do. So, um, yeah, there were so many. You know, like you get into this, um, into this period you know, in, the, in the build up before, um, before a major championships, before a major race. I mean, there's. Um, the last thing you want to be doing is like, you know, it's, 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 it's blown up and, um, you know, somebody quite, quite well known actually just pulled out of the world championships in Doha this, this week. And it just kind of, yeah, there's, there's so many ways that you can get it wrong and not come to the start line. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of, yeah, it was kind of a keep it simple mentality. And the other thing was that it was injuries because when we first started, he's, the cars were really, really playing you up a lot. We actually had to switch the footwear. Yes, that's right. Quite quick. So, um, as people have listened to the podcast before, they're like, "This is one of my kind of like pet subjects." <laughs> it's uh, they get analysis, but um, yeah, it was it was very clear. You know, the cars were just getting absolutely hammered. It was going to really hold him back in his training. So, first thing was like change the footwear, give him, give his cars every advantage that they could get through the workouts to the end, because um, that was just going down a road that would would have meant he'd never got to the start line. 
Um, but it was, it was about three or four months of like, pretty much like, sit, wait, like what's happening, right? Because there's no rule book on, on, on post chemo. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> it was like, Andrew, uh, so how's the last few days gone? You know, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then, okay, uh, let's tweak the plan again. <laughs> like, change that workout, don't do that one. Um, cause neither of us knew, no one knew. No, um, and that's yeah. a good point too. I mean, there's, there's, um, everything says receive chemo rest, um, rest until for this kind of unknown amount of time. Um, you know, whether the textbooks say one to three years before your body's back to take stress again. But, um, you know, you look, you look recently, I, I mean, there's so many, um, elite athletes, uh, Olympians, um, uh, that are, that are, have gone through cancer recently. Um, uh, you, you know, just the, even the list that I, I was speaking to, um, Kick and Randall, uh, as I was going through, uh, this, who's the U S um, Nordic skier, won gold in the Olympics, uh, who was also diagnosed with cancer around the same time. Uh, Max Perot just won, uh, X games, but he just went through his treatments, uh, not too long ago. Um, there's <coughs> a significant amount of athletes that are going through it, but there's, n- there's really nothing on, okay, how do we get back to a level of of performance and and um, and of course whether that that is important or not um, after but but if you if it is important to to how do you get back to that and and what can the body deal with and and, and there's just not there's really nothing on that so yeah it was, it was constant check-ins um, as to like how did the week go all right you know like my week I, I completely blew up this week you know lots of pain whatever and then we tweak and then kind of go through it but yeah it's a uh, it's definitely a field I think that they're there's a lot of potential to to do some some really cool things there and to and to really look and, and it's not just for athletes either it's um you know this is a time uh you know being diagnosed with with any disease but uh it's a it's a pretty pivotal point in in anyone's life to sit back and, and possibly make some really good changes too right um uh you know whether physical activity maybe hasn't been important and that's something you want to introduce in your life and then how do you introduce that post you know, adversity from, from different diseases and adversity in life, right? So how do you, how does your body deal with that stress post these, these kind of major incidents and, and uh, experiences you go through? And, and I just don't, I mean, at least in what I've looked at, I just felt that there was some major gaps there in, in kind of this, this new world of, um, you know, for me, specifically post-chemo. Um, all right, what do we do? What can, you know, what can the body do? What can we achieve? And, and how can we do it safely and, and responsibly, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned your, your work a bit, uh, actually more kind of your part of why running usually is a bit more intense for you. Um, is it, can you tell us anything about what you do or, or why, um, why running and having that that outlet is so important. Um, from our conversations, I, I get the sense that neither the running that you do, nor maybe even the chemo, uh, is the most stressful part of your of your life. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I mean the I guess the short the short stories. Yeah, um, definitely through through the last um, kind of. Uh, over a decade of, of my career, it, it's been um, working a, a fairly uh, stressful job. Um, it's uh, running. Running has always been um, it's been an outlet for me. Um, as I've kind of experienced different uh, different specific events uh, in my work that that have caused uh, caused pretty significant amount of stress for for myself and my family. 
um, it, it's always kind of been an outlet for me where um, I can put on my shoes and shut off the noise, um, be with myself, be with myself in my own thoughts and head, um, just kind of not only decompress, but just almost look at things in a more realistic way um, and, and then approach things a little more, uh, a little different uh, coming out of it. Um, you know, in, in my personal, uh, like I, I always kind of would go into running a little bit, then stop running, go into running a little bit. Um, I went to, I played lacrosse in university, um, but, but had a, also had a really good time. I extended my four-year program into probably about six and a half. So I, um, I, uh, I came out of that and, um, and uh, yeah, like I always had a love for running, but, uh, but it kind of, depending on what was going on at the time, would focus on something a little different. Um, it actually ended up, uh, when I was working, I, um, I was really heavy into weights. Um, I was actually, I was, I was over 200 pounds. Um, and, uh, and I broke my knee working and, uh, and when I broke my knee, I kind of sat back and was like, all right, I need to, I want to get mobile again. I want to, I want to start, uh, start running. And, and, uh, that's when I actually got in my head, I'm going to do a triathlon. So I had, uh, I had nine months to, to, to get a coach to get some training and, uh, and put together an Ironman effort that, uh, yeah, probably could have used a couple extra months, <laughs> but it was an awesome time. So, uh, yeah, so it's, um, it's always been that outlet for me in my personal opinion, um, through some of the things I've, I've experienced at least in the last, uh, 13 years, um, running saved my life, um, for sure. And, uh, and I, you know, can definitely say again, um, going through what I just did this last year that, uh, that the physical activity and running, uh, did that again. Interesting The you touched on something, the hyperactivity thing. Um, has that always been there for you, like all through your life? The what's it? Hyperactivity kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I'd always, I'd always be running around trying to do handstands or flipping off of stuff. I'm, I feel terrible. My family had to show up to the hospital, um, too many times for me getting stitched up and I was always too young so they had to phone my, my family to come there because I always had tried to do a backflip off a picnic table and end up on my forehead. Um, so yeah, I always kind of, I was always kind of moving around, um, trying to, trying to do some running. When, when you run, like if, if you go back to um, pre-cancer and the running workouts you used to do before, or even cycling workouts to be honest, um, have you ever, ever noticed the, the concept like that, you, that your brain goes a bit quieter and you feel a bit happier when you're pushing harder? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Cause it's really interesting because I was having this like this is a total spin-off now really. Um we could do another podcast about this. But um but I was out just like walking the trees the other day, having these epiphanies. And um uh so so the theory is like in conventional theory, physiology, running, brain, everything, you know, when you're working like kind of a sub-anaerobic threshold, you're working in a dominantly aerobic state, um it's a lot easier on the body and it should be um it should feel easier, it should feel more comfortable, it should feel more mellow, right? And then as you apply stress to the body, you run faster, you should feel kind of more overloaded. Yeah. And your brain should be a little bit more stressed out, produce some cortisol, whatever it is. And, and that should be this kind of relationship that, you know, that it moves forward that way. But I've worked with a lot of uh, athletes, both in triathlon and um, running, but also in other sports as well. Uh, similar to yourself. So they, they were hyperactive from, from as long as they could remember. And they go the opposite way. So only once they cross the anaerobic threshold, do they then calm down? Does the brain then go quiet? Yeah. Um, and without getting into deep stuff about this, basically we, we're looking for the brain to resonate at a certain frequency. 
um, like in certain frequency bands, and that's when things kind of go quiet and the body is able to operate at its fullest, at its best physically. Yeah. And I've noticed over and over again over the years that people who have a tendency through their lives to be um, hyperactive internally, that, that they have to, it's not actually so much of a conscious psychological thing, that these people are nutters and they just have to push hard. Yeah. It's actually a, a more of a physiological and neuroscientific thing, yeah. that that's how their brains work. They, are, they actually go quietest if you were to do a functional MRI once they've crossed a certain level of work intensity. Right. And that feels comfortable. And, uh, and actually it's a bit more stressful mentally to be at a lower level, not working as hard. Right. Does that, does that make sense to you? And, that, and for me, then, that was what I always had a hard time with, is that I would, um, I would deal with, I would have external stresses from work, and then, I would, um, and then in order for me to shut it down, I would just pin workouts all the time. So um, if you, like, I, I'm off Strava now, but if you were to look at my previous stuff, there wasn't a run that was over a 350 kilometer, because I would just put my head down and hammer. And I'd feel terrible after, but then it would be, I couldn't shut off the external stresses. So then it would just be pin or I get on the bike and it was like intervals, smash, smash my legs on them. And if I wasn't on a puddle on the ground after it wasn't a good workout. So in a way, this, this kind of, this last year is, is really, that's why it's been so eye opening for me is, is cause my body forced me to slow down. Um, and in doing that, you know, I look at the, the overall benefit and the overall time difference uh, you know the, looking at the kind of the numerical values and I go holy smokes like what was I doing before right yeah. Um, so yeah it's kind of that balance for me too of, of trying to deal with um, how, how to properly deal with the external stresses uh, implement that into a workout and still you know feel good at the end of the day so uh, it's all learning it's been a lot of learning but this has been uh, this is definitely this last year has really shown me you know I guess what I was doing wrong before. <laughs> well, maybe, or maybe actually, it's more to do with the deep brain. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by because it. it kind of the, it's the deep brain that obviously is like the regulator of all of this kind of quite automatic autonomic stuff. Yeah. Um, and also then is involved in things like cancer and cells that divide fast and, and, are, and are overactive essentially. And I, and I do wonder if there's something there actually um, <laughs> that has been that has been more sort of physically forced to change like since. Yeah. I mean, I won't spin on, I won't spin on it too much, but, um, and, and Jacob can kind of like add something as a more experienced coach than me, but there's often these things where, um, so someone will come along and they'll say, Hey, I want to be a marathon runner. I want to run like Boston qualifier and whatever. And the, the marathon's their thing. Cause psychologically they've been like attracted to the marathon. And then as a coach, you're like, but are you actually a marathon runner? Is that really what you're, you, you know, you're tuned to do? And, um, sometimes, you know, if you're working with these athletes, they gravitate towards an aerobic threshold. <laughs> they just want to work there, right? And they just want to have some hyperventilation going on. <laughs> and um, and you're like, there, you're not really a marathon runner because people that are really well tuned to the marathon will naturally want to gravitate to be just back from that and they'll be really efficient at a slightly lower intensity. Um, but these people that I'm talking about, they, they feel more efficient and calmer when they're at higher intensity. And sometimes when you're looking on the outside, why did people not go from half marathon to the marathon, right? They did this in the half, but they can't do that in the marathon. Okay, we can instantly go to kind of uh, physiological stuff and say, oh, you know, you know like uh, part, you know, uh, metabolic pathways, blah, blah, blah. Um, little, not often do we actually look at the brain and say, well, maybe it's actually up here between the ears. And the person actually is just more comfortable. The, the body's system works better at its higher intensity. When, when, and 
hence they're not as efficient when they're more aerobic dominant and they're just never going to run a marathon as well as they run a faster race like a half marathon. Yeah. Yeah. There, there may be things, I, I agree, I, I have experienced that, that sometimes people come to me and <laughs> I don't know why it is and it's not a knock on these people or on this race, but uh, after Born to Run, the Leadville 100 is like on a lot more people's yeah. um, bucket lists, which is great. But, you know, a lot of people contact me and it's like, I want a couch to Leadville um, plan and <laughs> I live at sea level. So can you, can we do that in the next three months? Mm, I think we might need a little bit more time than that. I mean, like even, even given what you went through with the chemo and stuff, uh, not, some people reach out with no background, no base whatsoever. And so I, I think it is important to, to establish that foundation and, and even just that muscle memory. But it sounds like as Malk is suggesting, uh, maybe some things changed even neurologically. I, I, I'm curious about something a little bit different though, uh, about you specifically. And, uh, and then maybe we can get back to this coaching piece, but, but it, I, I think this is an important piece of that mental aspect actually. Um, without sh divulging too much, um, you don't work in a cubicle No. and, <laughs> and at least relative to my job and many of the people with whom I work, uh, your job is a lot more stressful uh, and a lot more demanding than most other lines of work. And um, you're like the chillest guy I know. Like you're super, you're like zen-like. And, and so I'm wondering, have you always been that way or has running or physical activity or other practices as has yoga has meditation has faith like how how are you at peace uh it doesn't seem like a show like yeah. you, you you're just a genuinely good human being uh, but there's lots of positive like vibes and even when you were describing how you were adjusting on the fly in the race like i don't think that that's a natural thing how have you how have you allowed yourself to just have a plan and then like adjust the plan and not lose it every time that you yeah. got to adjust. Um, so it, both, both in running and, and in life, like how, how are you so positive? Yeah. Um, I, so for the, like to stay positive, I think you gotta be around positive people. Um, I think that's a large part of it. Um, I think we all have people, um, that, that kind of, kind of suck that energy out of you. And I think finding the, the right energy to be around is, uh, is a big part of that. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I, I definitely, I try and be relaxed and chill. I'm sure my, my, my wife would have some, some funny stories to, to cook and make that, <laughs> to, to, yeah, kind of have the other side of that. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, for the most part, I think, uh, positivity, like, I don't know, you, you, you have to have it, right? There's so much, uh, so much adversity, so many curveballs you get in life. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to sit there and dwell on it and harp on it, um, I mean, I could, I could go through uh, a list of the adversity I've gone through. Um, you could, uh, Malk, you could as well. And, and every single person has gone through, it's just going to be how you, how you adapt to it and how you, you know, whether, whether that's going to be, um, that's going to be your downfall and, and you're going to be, um, you know, that adversity defines you or you're going to define yourself through that adversity. Right. And, and that's, um, 
that's kind of the way I've I've had to think. I think I've I've kind of forced myself to think is uh, all right. If I if I'm let the if I let this adversity define me, then um, then then I'm not I'm not going to grow. I'm not getting past it. Um, so uh, so what do we have to do? Like what do I have to do to get past this? What do I have to do for for to continue my work? What do I have to do to continue with my family? What do I have to do to continue running? Um, I I got to define myself through it. So. Um, so let's do it, right? Uh, you know, it, it's it sucks to have adversity, and everyone, like I said, has different levels of it. But uh, but how you're going to deal with it is it's going to be um, whether you're true to yourself on the on the outside of it or on the, the back end of it, or whether that uh, that ultimately you know changes you, um, maybe not so much for the better. So um, yeah, different things through at least through my personal life that I've had to uh, you know and and. It's, it hasn't been roses by any stretch. Um, there's been lots of times where, you know, you sit there and you look at the, the hand you're dealt and you go, all right, this is, unfortunately, this is going to be a, a big shift in my life and a changing point in my life and may not be for the better. And, and then you look at it, um, I think as you kind of analyze it a little bit more, you can sit back and go, all right, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we make lemonade out of the lemons, right? And, and, uh, and let's do it. Let's try for it. And I think that mentality and that kind of, an, um, and, and, you know, that comes down to, uh, like, a large part of what I went, or I, I just went through. Um, you know, like, it, the empowerment through adversity, I think, is where, um, what we need to do more to people. Um, we need to empower people through, through adversity. Um, even looking at a coaching perspective, um, you know, when I, when I look at 50K, you know, initially talking to Malk, um, he goes, you can run under three hours. Okay, so I, I didn't. It's not that I didn't think that was possible, but that's that's a large time difference from my nationals time. So, uh, but initially, just giving that empowerment to people to say, no, this is what we're capable of. This is what we we can do. Changes you in the head, right? It it changes things a little bit. Um, I, I initially made uh, a couple YouTube videos through my cancer journey, and uh, one of the feed uh, some of the feedback I got um, was a lady who who had gone through cancer and said, well, I went through cancer and I'm not that strong. And, and I understand that. And, I, and, and nothing in those videos was my intention to make people feel that they were not strong enough to go through it. But my question is, I, I was told to lay in bed for four and a half months through my chemotherapy. Um, I chose not to. Um, my question is, what if a doctor said to me, instead uh, of laying in bed for four and a half months, here's a prescription pad. I need you to do two walks a day. I need you to, to at least try and do one short run once a week or just stay physically active that way and wrote it down for me. Empowered me a little bit to sit back and go, okay, well, this is what I have to do now, right? Just as I have to take these meds, I have to go for a walk a day. Now all of a sudden you are that strong, right? Now you, you kind of, you have somebody who's sitting there going, no, we can, you can do this. You're capable of doing this. And now you have that capacity and you go, all right, maybe, maybe I can, you know, kind of start, start changing the standard of care changing what what is being told that I can and can't do all of a sudden you know having someone say you can do this and it's like all right I have, you know that that switch goes on in the head where you go I have the ability to do this I can do this I, I can get through this right um, I think that's where you really need to empower people like people saw me on my bike through chemo and they said like you know strength oh you have so much strength the strength is 10% of that like physical strength is 10% of that right um, that 90% is just that, that will that you're just not going to get defeated, right? Um, and I think if we can empower people through any adversity they're going to, to say, yeah, you're not going to get defeated by this. Yeah, it, it sucks. 
absolutely sucks and there's nothing getting cancer sucks there's nothing there's no two ways about that there's no but to look at it and go all right it's it's not what's going to defeat me and if it does it's going to be beat to hell by the end of it too so so let's get after it right and uh and i think that was that was my mentality going into it and uh and the people i've talked to i've talked to uh, i've been lucky enough to talk to a few um, people going through the same kind of treatments that have reached out to me and and that's kind of the main thing I said is, you know, let this be your journey, but excuse me, make sure you understand that, that you're not a cancer patient. You're a lot of things before you're a cancer patient. Stay true to every single one of those things before, and you're going to come out of this on top. For me, I looked in the mirror every day. I made a promise to myself, looked in the mirror and said, all right, you're a dad, you're an athlete, um, you know, you, you have your job and you're all these things. You're a father before you're a cancer patient. So I'd go through the list. All right, so I got to be a husband. All right, what I got to do today? So, you know, make sure I'm good, like do something to be a good husband that day. All right, you're a father. Okay, make sure I at least like try and stumble, like, <laughs> stumble my way to the park with the kids for even half an hour. All right, you know, you're an athlete. Make sure you go for a walk or a run or do something. And then sit back and go, all right, you know, I've gone through my checklist of all the things I was before this. And of course, they're changed as you're, being basically destroyed by these drugs. Um, but then you go, all right, I have cancer. So let's work through that a little bit today too, right? But I, it's always making sure that I'm not a cancer patient before I'm everything I was before that day. Um, that, that helped me significantly going through that adversity, for sure. I don't know what to say next. I think that just pretty much says everything. Yeah. Hi. We really appreciate you taking the time. This is uh, your day off and, and your time that you could be with your family and, and you've chosen to spend this time with us and, and with our listeners. And um, just so you know, people people that follow you that maybe you don't realize are are watching or listening, they asked us to interview you. We, we wanted to interview you. We had it in our mind, but then when we started getting requests from people that you don't even know uh, that live on the other side of the world, wanted to hear your story, not just because of your, your performance at Worlds. Um, so the things that you're doing uh, locally, uh, in your home, uh, in your community, but also globally, um, they, they're helping other people, and we want to thank you for that. That's it for episode eight of the Art and Science of Running podcast. And we really appreciate those of you who have listened. Uh, we ask that you um, subscribe to this podcast so that you can get the next podcast as soon as it comes out. And share it with your friends. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Google Podcasts, or wherever else you may listen to podcasts. Um, you can also follow us on social media at the art and science of running uh, on instagram twitter facebook we even have a facebook group if you'd like to participate and and maybe give some discussion uh, or some some thoughts as far as uh, future guests that you'd like to hear from or future topics uh, we would appreciate that i'll climb atop the highest mountain
come I don't know where I'm going I'm going for a walk 